0: Nuclear Radiation We're conditioned to accept government and industry assurances that the radiation levels we face are safe, no matter how much common sense would point to the need for extreme skepticism of their dismissive statements when we express concern. But in Japan, after Fukushima, local citizens took the matters into their own hands— with amazingly positive results, and as one genuine expert tells us, it all began because The government of Japan
1: publicly announced the level of soil contamination, but they never touched the soil. The number that they published was a calculated amount from the air pollution level, So when the mom and pops found out about this fact, they got so scared. They have a children who plays in a sandbox. They have a private vegetable gardens and so forth. They came to the conclusion, well, the government doesn't do it for us. We have to do it.
0: And so they did. And they continue to. Well, when you hear about citizen activists in Japan who took radiation measuring into their own hands after Fukushima, And learn that this kind of program is necessary here in the United States, as well as all the other countries around the world, you get a sense of empowerment that yes, there is a way we can fight back against the government's and the nuclear industry's false assurances about nuclear and call out the truth about that awful seat that we all share.
1: Nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking?
0: We talk with professional translator Rachel Clark, who has worked directly with the Minano Data Site, the group that organized scientifically vetted research and testing for radiation levels in Japan. The group subsequently published a book and booklet in Japanese and in English that revealed Fukushima's radiation spread throughout that country. Rachel is here in the United States and given her recent experience, which we will discuss, She has a vision for a similar program to test for radiation levels throughout the United States. And she also provides a first step for interested parties to take. We will also have nuclear news from around the world, numbnuts of the week for outstanding nuclear boneheadedness and more honest nuclear information than we will ever hear from the state of Florida because, hey, it's Florida. All of this coming up in just a few moments. Today is Tuesday, April 6, 2021, and here is this week's nuclear news from a different perspective. First, I have a correction to issue as to last week's show, number 510. In it, I interviewed Turkish journalist Pinar Demirjan, covering two ongoing projects in Turkey, one on the Mediterranean to be run by Russians, And the other one in the black sea a project that is currently without a company i mistakenly assigned both of these to russia and apologize for the mistake now here's the news starting off with the story out of canada where former prime minister jean chretien was revealed to be part of a secretive project to store nuclear waste in labrador before the pandemic lockdown forced its cancellation A meeting was planned in April 2020 between former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien, who has ties to the Liberal government and Prime Minister Justin Trudeau, former U.S. government nuclear advisor Tim Frazier, Montreal business executive Albert Barbouski, and influential figures in Japan's nuclear and public relations industry. That would be Dentsu. This was revealed in emails drafted in 2019 and 2020 that were obtained by Radio Canada's enquête, an investigative program. The plan they were hiding was to bury nuclear waste from foreign countries in Labrador. Now that the cat is out of that bag, we will bring you more information as it appears. In the United States, in Florida... A state of emergency has been declared after a significant leak at a large pond at the old Piney Point phosphate mine threatened to burst a system that stores water polluted with radioactive materials. More than 300 homes were ordered evacuated, and the highway closed off near the large reservoir only 30 miles south of Tampa. The pond at the old Piney Point phosphate mine sits in a stack of phosphogypsum, a waste product from manufacturing fertilizer that contains naturally occurring radium and uranium, and the stack can also release large concentrations of radioactive radon gas. The pending ecological disaster and resulting contamination has caused George Cruz, a Manatee County commissioner, to state, we determined that it was no longer safe to be anywhere near Piney Point. A February incident in the nuclear reactor at the National Institute of Standards and Technology in Gaithersburg, Maryland, potentially admitted more radioactive material than initially thought. While officials were quick to announce that the radioactivity levels were quote-unquote safe, the incident was significant enough to require at least 10 employees to undergo decontamination and force a rare evacuation of workers from the nuclear reactor facility. On February 3rd, a fuel element in the reactor overheated beyond the limit of 450 degrees Celsius and suffered damage. An alarm on the site warned of the radiation levels during a restart of the reactor from regularly scheduled maintenance. So the problem happened, quote-unquote, maintenance had occurred. The state of New Mexico has sued the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission over concerns that the federal agency hasn't done enough to vet plans for a multi billion dollar facility by Holtec to store spent nuclear fuel in the state, arguing that the project would endanger residents, the environment, and the economy. New Mexico has accused the commission of colluding with Holtec in, quote, rubber stamping the proposal. The state argues that almost every interested party that has filed a challenge has been denied standing and an opportunity to meaningfully participate. The complaint says, The NRC's mandate does not include policy setting or altering the public debate and emphatically cheerleading nuclear industry projects, yet it is doing both to the detriment of New Mexico. One of the unaddressed, ignored, and suppressed problems with this numnuts plan to ship nuclear waste from reactors around the country to New Mexico is that of transport, a point made clear on March 31st when a truck carrying radioactive uranium compounds crashed, crashed on the I-95 in Cumberland County, North Carolina, only 63 miles from Raleigh. Two of the 4,000-gallon containers of uranium hexafluoride on the truck fell off as the truck overturned. Uranium hexafluoride can be used to make fuel for nuclear power plants. Drivers were evacuated from the area. The NRC has okayed plans to send radioactive waste to U.S. Ecology's Idaho Waste Storage Facility, about 60 miles south of Boise. The 5,200 cubic yards of radioactive sludge and debris would fill about 430 dump trucks and be transported to Idaho by truck and rail car. Remember the previous story? Connect the dots. And now... Nuclear hot seat.
1: Nuclear hot
0: seat. Nuclear hot seat. None that sound awake. Extinction Rebellion describes itself as an international nonviolent civil disobedience activist movement that takes the view that the public deserves to know what credible scientists believe is the worst-case scenario for the development of the climate and ecological crisis over the coming decades. The group has always been staunchly anti-nuclear. So imagine the surprise and consternation when a former spokeswoman for the group, a Ms. Zion Lights, is now touting nuclear as, quote, the only option and, quote, a logical next step in fighting the climate crisis. She is also evoking her former position to shore up her current pro-nuclear one, which, of course, is evoking glee as it gives aid and comfort to those who promote all things nuclear. She has even taken a role at a campaign group that supports the building of the Sizewell C nuclear power station in Suffolk, less than 100 miles from London, which is staunchly opposed by more than 100 Suffolk businesses, community groups such as Stop Sizewell C and the Campaign Against Nuclear Expansion. It's even gotten support from celebrities such as actor Bill Nighy and broadcaster Bill Turnbull. Opposition keeps growing. Don't know why you did this, Ms. Darkness. Who got to you? What did they say? What did they offer? And how dare you used your warped thinking to twist your previous anti-nuclear stance into being the nuclear industry's favorite UK publicity lapdog. And that is why, Zion Light, or whatever your real name is, you are this week's Nuclear Hot Seed, Nun Nuts of the Week. We'll have this week's featured interview in just a moment. But first, nuclear problems are going to continue to be with us forever. From uranium mining to weapons production to radiation-leaking reactors to still not having a way to safely store the deadly radioactive waste produced by all these endeavors, nuclear is government and industry, not caring how they contaminate the world, as long as they keep making obscene profits and fool themselves into thinking that they are immune to the consequences of their actions when they most definitely are not. Meanwhile, we all have to deal with the dangers of radioactive contamination that will not go away on its own, ever. Let's be honest with each other. Nuclear is a deadly mess. And that is why you need Nuclear Hot Seat to get into nuclear stories with facts, continuity, and context, as well as skepticism and the occasional dollop of hope. We provide a much deeper and nuanced telling than you would ever expect on mainstream media. Nuclear Hot Seat gets behind the scenes, under the skin, and into the heart of nuclear matters every week, with fresh information, an unrelenting perspective, and, whenever possible, humor. That's why the time would be right now to support us with a donation. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com and click on the big red Donate button to help us with a donation of any size. And that same red button is now where you can set up a monthly $5 donation. That's the same as spending it on a cup of coffee and a nice tip here in the United States. So take Nuclear Hot Seat out for a metaphoric cup of coffee and help us keep going. Please, do what you can now, and know that however much you can help, I'm deeply grateful that you're listening and that you care. Here is this week's featured interview. About two weeks ago, an alarming video showed up on social media from Rachel Clark about radiation dangers she had discovered literally in her own backyard in Vermont. My outreach to her for a short follow-up interview on her video morphed into today's feature, which includes a vision of how we can all become involved in documenting radiation dangers in a way that counts and can be used to support the rest of our arguments. Originally from Japan, Rachel Clark holds a degree in International Studies from Ramapo College in New Jersey. As an Independent Interpreter Global Coordinator, her language capacity has been utilized in various international events. She supported the former Prime Minister of Japan, Naoto Kan, at the Coalition Against Nukes Symposium in 2013, and former mayor of Nago City, Okinawa, Shumu Inamine, when he made various official visits to New York and Washington, D.C. in 2014 and 2015. Rachel coordinated the English version of Citizens' Radiation Data Map of Japan, which is now available in both digital and printed formats. We spoke on April 2nd, 2021. Rachel Clark, it is so good to have you here with us today on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thank you so much for having me over. It's oh, I'm
1: so honored to be here today with you
0: and with your audience. Let's give people a little bit of background on who you are and how you became involved in nuclear issues. I am just an ordinary
1: US citizen and It was 2010 when I was working for a Japanese import-export company. There was a UN conference that was NPT, Nuclear non proliferation Review Conference, that's been taking place every five years. And that particular year, the Hibakusha, Survivors of Atomic Bombs, their organization decided to send 150 delegations to New York. So, suddenly they needed ad hoc interpreters to cover those people, right? So, each one, I think we got the group of 30 interpreters, and each one got 10 people in a group. We spread to different directions and lobbying, as well as we helped their giving testimonies to high school students' audience and things like that. So, those three days changed my life completely.
0: How did those three days change your life? First of all,
1: The very first job that I did as an interpreter at that time was to work between UN ambassador of New Zealand and Hibakushas. After that, I thought, this is my calling. Just interpreting between Mr. A and Mr. B. No, no, no. There's something social meaning in between. So. That kind of job has given me this great sense of accomplishment. I really wanted to pursue doing that. That's number one reason. Number two reason is I took some hibakushas to the high school where my younger daughter was going to at that time. And the the audience reaction was great. And after that, I was called by one of the faculties saying that, Mrs. Clark, did you know that this school is an alma mater of Robert Oppenheimer? (laughs) Oh, my gosh. And uh, just by coincidence, at that time, my older daughter was going to the University of Chicago, which was a hub of the Manhattan Project. Of course. Okay, so 65 years later, I took hibakusha to that high school. You know, this whole coincidence gave me just a chill. And I thought, oh my God, I think it's gonna be my lifetime job. And that's how I am now.
0: (laughs) How did things change for you after Fukushima?
1: Everything has changed. The big difference is the, the media. The mainstream media just gives us the surface. But the real news, you have to dig into it. As long as they have sponsors, They always cater for sponsors, not to readers and subscribers in ordinary people like me. So we have to dig into it. Then I started to look for independent investigative reporters, as well as my other personal jobs as an interpreter for media people, newspaper reporters and people like that gave me a very, very deep thought of just the ordinary news that I've
0: been encountered on a daily basis. You have been working with the Minnano data site. What is that, and what does it do?
1: Just by coincidence, I encountered one of their main people. When I was working as an interpreter on board Queen Elizabeth, I happened to be in Yokohama port, and I invited her to my boat. And there she asked me that she has certain English translation for which she was looking for somebody who can edit. Well, this group emerged after Fukushima Daiichi's nuclear disaster. What happened was that the the government of Japan publicly announced the level of uh, soil contamination, but they never touched the soil. The number that they published was a calculated amount from the air pollution level. So when the mom and pops found out about this fact, they got so scared. They have a children who plays in a sandbox. They have a private vegetable gardens and so forth. They came to the conclusion, well, the government doesn't do it for us. We have to do it. So many private and civil society small groups popped up different parts of Japan. They started to measure the soil contamination level. And they started to grow their network. You know, cesium-134's half-life is two years. And they decided to do the thorough job before this half-year passes so that they can leave very uh, high-quality scientific data. For that, they had a big conference and chose one single common method that everybody pursued. So they remeasure the contaminated soil. Then with this credible method, they came up with the data and they made a a visible maps, beautiful, colorful map. And this map booklet became a huge hit. They translated it into English. And then I became a coordinator for this publication of the English version.
0: I remember when that came out and it was very powerful, because it was scientific evidence that the contamination in Japan was far worse than we Mm -hmm. had been led to believe. And here it was in the numbers, in the maps, in the data. And even the English version, which was a reduction in size Mm -hmm. from the one that was published in Japan, was tremendously powerful. Thank you. And I know we covered it here on Nuclear Hot Seat. I'll look up what that episode is and see if I can link to it.
1: Actually, we had to retranslate the entire thing because the, the original translation was done by a Japanese person. So there was a long process, but very concise
0: in the short period it's done. What were some of the findings in Japan that are represented in the booklet?
1: The contamination is not only limited to Fukushima, but all across Japan. That's why those measuring lab had spread different parts all across Japan.
0: That's a pretty big finding. Yes, it is. So you have been working with the NIN Nano data site. And recently, you posted a rather alarming video about something that you discovered on your own land. Tell us, where is that? What were you doing? And what was it that you discovered? I used to live in
1: the metropolitan New York area. And the last August, I moved to upstate New York. This is the northern tip of Adirondack. From here, Canadian border is only two hours or less than two hours. So you can guess how far north I am right now. I purchased a house with the land, 6.5 acres. And it is very, very common that the people who live here use wood stove during the harsh winters. And I do have one too. I purchased the woods from local vendors and burned them. It's such a wonderful warmth. I love it. I love it. But through our conversation with members of Minnanu Data site over Zoom meeting, I came to an idea. If there's such a thing like a, the contamination around here, how much would it be? So the one of the lab persons Suggested me that I would send the ash from my wood stove as a sample, which I did, and the result was so surprising, and I shocked because when I chose this house, you know, I made it sure that this is a far away, at least fifty miles away from the nearest nuclear power plants, right, and it is surrounded beautiful nature, and the lab tests show that the ash was fifty one rolls per
0: kilogram. Give us a sense of exactly how contaminated that is. What would be considered normal or acceptable level? Okay.
1: Well, for example, prior to the Fukushima Daiichi's nuclear accident, the threshold of safe food in Japan was one becquerel per kilogram. Then, after the accident, and currently, their threshold is hundred becquerels per kilogram. Something used to be dangerous. Suddenly, it's okay to eat. Even if it's 100 times more. Of course, of course. Now my ash is 51 becquerels. And according to the person who tested this, this is the way he analyzed. They detected only cesium-137. No cesium-134, which means that the radiation is not from Fukushima. It must be from the nuclear tests conducted in this country's soil. Season 137's half-life is 30 years. The hike of the uh, nuclear test was like about 60 years ago. So it passed a two half-lives, which means that it's a quarter of the original level. It depends on the material, but when woods are burned, the radiation level will be concentrated up to like a 200 times. So if the result was 51 backworlds, maybe original wood before burning was about 0.2 to 0.3 becquels per kilogram. Even here, after burning 51 barrels per kilogram, if they do the same tests across the United States, the closer to the nuclear tests, the higher the result would be, that's my guess.
0: And right now it's only a guess, but we're going to get to what can be done about that.
1: Right, right. And also recently there were so many mountain fires in the, on the West Coast, can you believe it?
0: That's where I live, and I've had to evacuate twice in the last 18 years.
1: Maybe, you know, Californians can go outside and collect the ash after, you know, mountain fire and do the same tests. Then they would find the results.
0: It would be fascinating to do so because we have not only the fires, but through an interview I did with a seawater activist, I don't know how to better state it right now, Tim Deere Jones. He pointed out that the marine layer, the morning marine layer that goes inland like clouds carries Mm -hmm. seawater with it, and that after Fukushima, it undoubtedly carried radiation inland much further away than you would expect it to go, and then that settles down it becomes part of the ecology, because The water goes into the soil. The plants take it up. The plants drop their leaves or the animals eat it or whatever. It gets dispersed, but it never goes away because it's still there. It's still radioactive. Then there are the areas around nuclear reactors. And we know that the radioactive pollution from nuclear reactors also spreads far and wide.
1: Off the coast of Alaska, there's an archipelago of small islands at the very western tip that island, almost closer to the uh, Russian border, I forgot the name of the island, that particular island was designated as a nuclear test site. Is that Amchatka? Something like that. So the radiation from those nuclear tests might have migrated toward the west coast as well, before Fukushima.
0: It's all source for radiation and the spread of radiation. Mm -hmm. So, What's clear is that we don't have to be near a known nuclear site in order to be impacted by radiation radioactivity in Mm -hmm. the environment. And radiation and food is always an issue because, of course, that's a source of internal contamination, mm-hmm. which is far more deadly than external contamination because there's no distance between neutrons bombarding the cells and the cells have no ability to protect themselves. So there's a huge internal vulnerability. You and Minenodetocyte have a vision of what it would take to help. So tell us about what you are thinking in terms of testing here in the United States.
1: Yes, thank you for asking that, because I have a vision that this country's citizens also should follow what they did over in Japan. Usually government is pro-nuclear energy. They try to minimize any ramification caused by nuclear power plants or nuclear uh, deployment of nuclear weapons whatsoever. Therefore, we have to come up with our own effort to find out the reality of radiation. What they did in Japan was they started small citizens' study groups. They purchased the radioactivity measuring devices, and they learned how to use it. Periodically, they looked for soil samples, and they measured the results. Here, we should be able to do the same thing. Before that, maybe the easiest step is to keep the baby teeth of your children or grandchildren and send it to lab, and then they can measure from there. Also, if you have a, any small gardens where the, you grow your vegetables and fruits, that's another sample, very interesting, directly linked to your own health. No matter how organically you do, if it's contaminated with the radiation, you should avoid that. So as soon as I found the results from Japan, I wrote a letter to local Amish people around here because they tend to recycle ash as a fertilizer of their vegetable garden. So I suggested that they should stop doing it and uh, make sure that there's one designated area in your property in the bury. It. Make sure that it doesn't blown away by the wind. And that's what I would do too.
0: And what was the response when you brought this up to them?
1: They were so surprised. I brought some written documents of my own, and also I copy-pasted some uh, information from governmental, I mean, Canadian governmental information. Also, what Becquerel means or what the micro-sievert and sievert means and things like that, but the basic
0: nuclear terms. Have they said anything about changing their growing methodology? Yeah, they already stopped recycling the ash,
1: at least the people I encountered. And hopefully, uh, the person whom I gave the um, written information, he he is a priest among them. So I think he can spread the word among his congregation.
0: That's terrific. Now, looking at Japan, Mm. when it comes to the food, Mm. what kind of manipulations are still taking place there regarding radiation levels? Thank you so much for asking me
1: that. That's a huge headache right now. I told you before that Prior to the accident, the threshold was one becquerel. Now it's 100 becquerel. Then the government has a newer plan to further increase to 12,500
0: becquerels per kilogram. 12,500 (laughs) becquerels per kilogram. Are they trying to kill us? Obviously. This is only limited to three food categories,
1: though. One is a mountain vegetable, another one is a wild mushroom, the other one is meat from a wild animals.
0: And of course, what's wrong with that is that mushrooms are natural accumulators of radiation. They are the first and the worst. The wild animals eat the wild mushrooms or the other foliage that has been contaminated and they concentrate it further within their system. So, of course, they're going to be at a higher level, which would reveal the level of contamination. So let's cover up the level of contamination by saying, eh, you don't eat them so often. Just ignore the numbers. The numbers aren't important because we're going to raise them so high they're not going to register.
1: Exactly. And they brought, brought the excuse of the threshold of EU and the Codex, which is 10,000 becquerels per kilogram. But think about it they can support their diet by their own produce. Japan's self food. They can support themselves only 30-some-odd percent of the food. The rest need to be imported from outside a country. So if the Japan's threshold is so loosened, probably other countries will target Japan in order to export their food, which are too. High to contaminate to keep for their own people, they
0: just get rid of it and even make money by selling them to Japan. What has been the response, especially among the community of activists who have been taking measurements to this new level this amazingly increased level of radiation that is supposedly going to be allowed in food?
1: Of course, they took this potential change very, very seriously. They're very quiet academic type of people, but for the first time, they took a huge political step. They planned a press conference for this that was supposed to be, well, they did it on March 9th. So in order to collect media attention, they spread the word ample time earlier, prior to the uh, March 9th. Somehow that news got leaked, I guess. To their surprise, the government of Japan chose the same date to make their own announcement. On top of that, i The UN Science Academy also chose the March 9th to spread their
0: result of report. It looks like Orchestrated effort among those higher authorities. I'm not surprised because, of course, with March 11 being the 10th anniversary of Fukushima, I may have said it on the show, but I certainly said it in conversation that it was clear that the nuclear industry was mustering its forces to deflect attention from anything that the activists might be saying. So this sounds like a one-two punch coming from the government of Japan and UNSCIR to cut the rug out from under this citizen radiation monitoring group, something that would not have anywhere near the money to be able to promote it, but was of crucial importance to the health and safety and future of the people of Japan. But that was a greatly
1: diluted version. I think they put so much higher authority on what they received from the government of Japan, but not Minnano data sites reality. So because of those double punch, they were not able to get the enough media attention on March 9th.
0: That was less than a month ago from when we are talking now. So, of course, the opportunity is always there for them to increase the awareness in the future, hopefully the near future, because this is so important. Are those standards now set in stone or are they just proposed and they have to go through an approval process?
1: In the process and they are running a huge campaign which need to be heard more people, which need to receive more co-signing and uh, I think number counts a lot. So I would like to spread the word through this opportunity that please, please sign this petition and do not let the Japanese government
0: Change the threshold to much higher. This is ridiculous. We will, of course, link to that petition on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this week's episode, which is number 511. So, the government of Japan had this press conference to put this information forth. How has it been received, and what has been the response? And has there been any pushback?
1: Well, if you see the media, they covered only what the japanese government's announcement as well as a unscares announcement but the voice from the minnano data site has been almost unheard a majority of people plus it's been under covid extravaganza. it's circus you know it's been used to dilute and erase and undermine any issues that need to be heard is out of the mainstream media
0: plus Olympic games. And the ill-advised torch run, which really should have been reduced to a clown car with a Bic lighter. (laughs) It sounds like the government of Japan's plan really had some grotesque contents. What was in there? There There's several grotesque
1: contents. First of all, this was initiated by an elected representative from Fukushima prefecture to national diet in order to gain votes from and to protect the interest of their certain constituents not all vast majority of them but the certain constituents who are wholesalers of local products who have been enabled to ship local products that are contaminated with higher level of radiation than the threshold
0: than the current threshold so, in other words, to have it be legal just by changing the numbers that, oh, what wasn't healthy, ah, it's perfectly all right for you because look, we changed the numbers.
1: Exactly. That's just a simple number game for them. What else? Another point is when my colleagues of Minano Data Site asked about this matter to some residents in Fukushima. They didn't know anything about this plan, and they became rather very unhappy because despite their long effort to keep lower than the current threshold, 100 becquerels per kilogram, the new threshold, 12,500 becquerels per kilogram, would worsen the reputation of their products if it were in effect. So local people are willing to support my colleagues' campaign against the Government of Japan plan.
0: How has the government of Japan been working to divide local people? (laughs) That's very tactful. For example, they included
1: some matters related to a local biomass project, which ignited the conflict between those who are against nuclear and those who embrace biomass. So when you say biomass, it sounds very something healthy and clean, right? So why are those two environmental camps divided? because their biomass is based on incineration, not on accelerating the uh, decaying process. As I mentioned earlier, when wood is burned to ashes, the radioactivity is about 200 times more concentrated. That is why anti-nuclear people against the construction of an incinerating facility, which has been successful so far due to their strong opposition. Now, the government is saying that they would offer a bigger budget for a biomass project that incinerates radioactive wood together with other garbage. Thus, the original plan to increase the radiation threshold is now disguised and more spotlighted as the budget increases for the local forest industry. How is that?
0: Diabolical.
1: (laughs) In addition, when they gave a press release on the March 9th, the government of Japan also referred to the threshold of EU and Codex, which is 10,000 becquerels only for limited rare food, which is supposedly consumed less than 10% of their entire diet. But the government of Japan didn't mention this condition when they did the press conference. So can you imagine that Japan would be the target of exporting higher radioactive food? For other countries who cannot sell those to their own people, so by by maintaining a high self-sustainable rate, they have no issue without eating the rare food. But for the people of Japan, they have no choice but to rely on imported food since Japan's food self-sustainable rate is less than 40%. So accepting up to 12,500 beckels per kilogram means to pave the way to suffer with various cancers for them.
0: Which, of course, would be the result of internal contamination with radiation. So they're setting their own people up for, down the line, a much higher cancer rate.
1: Exactly. And that will be a more profitable business for medical industry,
0: isn't it? Sometimes I just look at this stuff and I go, whoosh this up. What is the role of the reconstruction agency in all this? Reconstruction agency is only
1: focusing on reconstruct Fukushima in a way that they serve to big corporations, not to help people of Fukushima. The original new threshold of 100 becquerels per kilogram threshold was done by the ministry of health labor and welfare earlier in this interview i mentioned that the government plan was originally initiated by an elected representative from fukushima prefecture right and just by coincidence maybe (laughs) the uh, reconstruction agency among the government agencies is collaborating with the local representative and trying to push forward this plan. And the head of the reconstruction agency, Mr. Katsue Hirasawa is also from Fukushima Prefecture. So two main people from Fukushima Prefecture in the government or to the government have been collaborating in order to actualize this much higher threshold. I can't believe this story. Just they're trying to, you know, squash their own local people.
0: It defies logic. It defies compassion. It defies humanity. Now, what is the work that is being done by the Ministry of Health, Labor, and Welfare in all of this? They
1: worked years ago in order to change the threshold from one bedroll to 100 bedroll, right? So now they run. Um, Public comment. And somebody among our colleagues found out that oh my God, that they're running this public comment. Let's do it, let's do it. So they filled away the public comments. And apparently 80% of those comments were very negative about this um, changing them uh, even higher threshold. So ministry already aware of that and they didn't want to deal with it. And the Reconstruction Agency take more initiative on this matter. Where lies the uh, uh, accountability of this government of Japan? I don't think they
0: have a certain designated authority to do this. It's shocking, but at the same time, almost to be expected in these matters, that even when an enormous majority of people speak out against them doing something, the asking for comments is simply for show. It has nothing to do with them wanting feedback and being willing to readjust their behaviors. All they want is to say, well, we asked for comments and not expect anybody to follow up, and they will go ahead and do exactly what they have in mind from the get-go. Now, how are the farmers locally dealing with this? I think they were shocked because they've been working so
1: hard last 10 years in order to clear the 100 becquerels threshold, right? They put so much enormous effort to produce safer food for consumers. Now, certainly government, oh, it's okay, 12,500 becquerels. you know. What? What's going to do with our all effort? What happened to what we've been doing? You know, so they're totally against this idea, of course. But they were so much afraid of the
0: reaction by the consumers. They're afraid of the reaction from the consumers but not of the citizens who are caught up in this system? Well,
1: they themselves are the victims of this governmental bureaucracy, or should I say, brutality. The government of Japan is supposed to protect their own citizens, their taxpayers, their constituents, whereas what they're doing is completely catering for the nuclear industry as well as the construction industry, also medical industry.
0: There have been other interesting developments recently. Run us through what some of those are.
1: The Olympic torch relay has started in Japan. They started in Fukushima. The torch will be relayed one point to another. However, two days ago, the governor of Osaka said that he doesn't want the torture relay to come to Osaka, especially he doesn't want it to run through the city of Osaka because that will attract more people. That's against safety code of COVID-19. You're not supposed to congregate. You're not. You're supposed to have in a long distance. You're not supposed to speak out loud voices. No, 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 no. Rather, they want people to stay home and be safe, take care of it themselves, right? So this public figures' opinion would cause some kind of a backlash or support from people of Japan, I would say. And I am hoping that the Olympic Games will be canceled
0: this year, too. Now, getting back to the idea of radiation measuring here in the United States, what would it take and how could we get started and how might we work with Minnano Data Site? I'm more than happy to
1: mediate or interpret between Japanese precursors and U.S. people who want to emerge their own measuring posts. It is very important that they follow the single common measuring method so that it's scientifically comparable. It is very important that everybody follow the same measuring method in order to keep the accuracy of the entire data. So I would like to be introduce each other, those who want to do this in the US and those already doing it in Japan. So start international network. I'm hoping to see big US map with the radiation level indicated at all different parts of this country. I would like to see overlapping with nuclear test sites, nuclear waste storage sites, nuclear power plant sites, as well as cancer-prone areas of this country. Let's see how they overlap.
0: That is a resource that we have been needing for a long time. And the vision that you have of what this is and how this can be modeled on a process that already exists in Japan and has proven successful and has been proven influential Around the world, because of the resulting publication. That is something for us to explore and find a way to institute here in the United States. Because once we have that in hand, we can then move forward on legislation and on changes and on shutting down reactors and seeing what else can be done. But it will give some real muscle to the arguments that we have been having. Exactly. Yes.
1: And if the US follows, other parts of the world will follow, too. And currently, the French-translated version of this radiation map book was published in France. So I think in this way, more global languages versions will follow. It'll be wonderful to see the uh, global convention of those radiation measuring posts get together at a certain point with a global convention and share their knowledge, their information, exchange And see how we've been living in this nuclear world. Absolutely, I would say no-no to construct new nuclear power plants. I would say no-no to develop any more uh, nuclear weapons. I would say no-no to launch any satellites
0: fueled by nuclear batteries. Rachel, you are... What can I say? A consistent activist, someone who has seen work that needs to be done and moved forward to get it done. And now you are in a position to inspire an entire national movement of activists to take out their radiation measuring devices, learn a protocol, follow it, report their results, and as a result, give us some of the power that we need to go to the authorities and say, stop doing this. And for all of that, for your good work, and also for you taking the time on very short notice to speak with us, I want to thank you for being my guest this week on Nuclear Hot Seat.
1: It's my highest honor and pleasure. Thank you so much for having me over here today.
0: That was Rachel Clark. She is a professional translator who works with the Minano data site the Japanese group that published and distributed both the original Japanese language and the English translation of the Citizens' Radiation Data Map of Japan. We'll have links to Rachel's original video, which kicked off the chain of events that led to this interview, up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com, under this episode, number 511. We will also have other links to Rachel's initial video, the Minnano data site, and their resulting booklet. Now, here is the exciting news. Rachel and I had a chance to brainstorm a bit about what it would take to set up a program like this for radiation monitoring in the United States. She immediately contacted her colleagues in Japan about it. It seems that great anti-nuclear minds run along similar pathways because the group is already writing a guide, how to launch a radiation measuring lab. Once it's done, It will be translated into English for a possible new project that will launch a U.S. version of the Citizens Lab Network. Rachel is spearheading this process and will be reaching out to individuals and groups that would be interested in starting a lab in their community. From these initial contacts, the program can ultimately include gardening groups, 4-H clubs, the scouts, schools, even the PTA, and any other group you can think of. The goal is to create coordinated data and put it into a radiation map of the United States. While the research and planning are taking place, we need to know where our initial on-the-ground radiation monitoring troops might be. So if this project interests you and you want to be kept up to date as it develops, send an email to radiationmonitoringusa at gmail.com. And of course... As we get closer to the launch, you will hear about it first on Nuclear Hot Seat.
1: Activists, shout-outs, shout-outs, shout out, 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 out.
0: The Native American Forum on Nuclear Issues is going to present a five-part series on the impacts that nuclear issues have on Native American communities across the country. Speakers include Winona LaDuke, Tom Goldtooth, Carletta Toulousey, Candy White, Myron Dewey, Tommy Rock, Manny Pino, Joe Kennedy, and Ian Zabarte. There will also be featured artists, including Jack Mallott, Soren Thunder Richards, and Byron Hudson. This series takes place from April 26th to 30th, and you can sign up for it. It doesn't cost anything, but you have to go through Eventbrite, and we will have a link up on our website, NuclearHotSeat.com under this episode, number 511. If any of you has or know someone who has any stock in Exxon, this is for you. There is apparently a semi-rebellious stockholder group within Exxon calling other shareholders about the upcoming vote on new board members, with a proposal to elect four more independent director candidates, including some supporters of renewables. Nothing, however, has been said about nuclear. A friend of mine has retained a few shares of Exxon stock, so she can keep tabs on what they're up to. She recently received this call, though she cut through the script the caller was using to rip the woman on the other side about nuclear, telling her flat out it is not green, it is not carbon-free energy source, and, given that my friend lives in Nevada, and here I quote, "'We don't need no stinking nuclear waste.'" There's a reason why we've been friends for all these years. So if anyone you know has a share or two of Exxon lying around and they get this call, they need to deliver the exact same message. Nuclear is not green. It is not carbon-free. It is not the solution to climate change. And don't ship nuclear waste to Nevada or New Mexico or West Texas or anywhere else. Fix it in your own backyard. And finally, The latest ranking news is that last week, Nuclear Hot Seat hit number 31 in podcast business rankings in Canada. Let's keep this going. This has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Tuesday, April 6, 2021. Material for this week's show has been researched and compiled from nuclear-news.net, deunrenard.wordpress.com, beyondnuclearinternational.com, The International Campaign for the Abolition of Nuclear Weapons, TheGuardian.com, NBCWashington.com, PBS.org, TheSun.co.uk, KTVB.com, EESI.org, StLouisToday.com, AtlasObscura.com, CBC.ca, Japantimes.co.jp businesswire.com and the captured and compromised by the industry they're supposed to be regulating nuclear put it in quotes regulatory commission thanks to all of you for listening and a big shout out to all of you nuclear hot seat listeners and followers around the world in 123 countries on six continents and counting hey you know nuclear hot seat is available for broadcast as well we are syndicated through pacifica AudioPort. And if you know of a local community-based radio station that would like to carry the show, let me know. Send the station name, their contact information, and any contacts you may have within the station to info at We'll follow up and do what we can to add them to our growing network around the United States. And if you would like to make certain that you don't miss a single episode you can have Nuclear Hot Seat delivered via email in your inbox every week. It's easier to manage. Just go to NuclearHotSeat.com, look for the yellow opt-in box, and sign up for the weekly email link to the latest show, along with a short summary of some of the material that is in it. We also want you to participate in other ways, so if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at NuclearHotSeat.com. And if you appreciate weekly verifiable news updates about nuclear issues around the world, as well as in your own backyard, as you heard on this show, take a moment to go to NuclearHotSeat.com and look for that big red button. Click on it, follow the prompts. Anything you can do will help, and we will really appreciate your support. This episode of Nuclear Hot Seat is copyright 2021. Libby Halevi and Heartistry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use allowed, as long as proper attribution is provided. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that minimizing the impact of nuclear radiation on our lives and health might make some people feel safe, but lies don't change scientific facts. They just keep you trapped in a danger with no way to escape. And with facts, we at least have a fighting chance. There you go. You have just had your nuclear wake-up call. So don't go back to sleep, because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. Nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking? New-